and welcome back to Spatulas and Speculations. I am your unofficial professor, Lily, and this is the unofficial SJM 101. But today's not really a 101 kind of class. Today is a scream into the void, Sarah's name at the top of my lungs class. <laughs> not even a class. Think tank? Can we call these episodes think tanks? I call them chaos episodes because I am in my very barest form of unhinged chaos nerd. But today's episode is going to be somewhat interesting because we've never, well, we've done one sort of like we did unhinged theories, but today we're going to be doing canon things that haunt me in the middle of the night and cause me to lose sleep over. But it's kind of weird because these are canon things, but they sort of lead into theories or they lead into parallels. So I'm not really sure how to like I'm not really sure how to, like, gauge it because it's not 100% theory, but it's not 100% canon. Is it headcanon? Is it just thought? Is it think tank? I don't really know, but we're going to be talking about canon things that happen and where my thoughts kind of lead from them. These are also going to be a few... There's one scene in here that I know for sure people have asked me to talk about, which I actually have talked about on my TikTok, but it was before I even had the whiteboard, so I probably should make another video on it. But we're going to do it on here first, because podcast people are my favorite people. You guys are the real ones, the real the real friends that I have in the fandom, because you listen to my podcast, which is crazy. And then maybe one day I'll talk about it on my TikTok, but who cares about my TikTok, right? Nobody. Not me. Um, I do. I mean whatever. Not what I'm talking about. But before we go any deeper, any further, let's get the warnings out of the way. There will be only Akatar spoilers today. Technically, I'm going to be bringing up one thing from Tog that is in both of them. These are just, that's just canon that it ha it's in Throne of Glass and it's in Akatar. So I'm not really sure if that's like spoilery, if there's just things <laughs> in each book series. I'm not really sure how that goes. It's like a gray area. But we're only going to be doing things in Akatar today. And then maybe one day we'll do an episode about things in Throne of Glass. And then another episode one day about things in Crescent City. So that's the spoiler warning for books. We're just going to be talking about Akatar. First time for any for everything. The second thing is, is I don't speak for Bloomsbury and I don't speak for Sarah. These are my thoughts. These are my opinions. These are the things that I scream about. They might not be the things that you scream about, but they sure are the things that I scream about. And last but not very not least, uh, my pronunciation, my voice, my diction. I apologize. I'm working on it. You know the drill. Now, what is actually today's episode? Today's episode is six well, it's more than six, but six core topics that happen in A Court of Thorns and Roses that make me want to just screech at the top of my lungs. Sarah J. Mass's name, Sarah Janet Mass's name, until something makes sense into my brain. It makes me want to yell her name so loud that it shakes the earth's core and then spews out the next release of the book. <laughs> I'm going to try my very best not to do that thing that I do when I get really excited. As you might see in my videos where I get louder in pitch and I talk faster and I don't make a lot of sense. I'm going to try and keep that to a minimum. We're going to try and keep it somewhat level. But these things, these things, oh, they make me just want to like, whoo, 
But we're gonna try not to do that. And these things are just like these these are things that are going to be like ongoing conversations. Like they're not things that have an ending. They're not things that just happen and then we have a solution to, which I would make my life so much easier, which there are probably things in the stories that make me like squeal over, you know, just things that happen in the books, but not necessarily things that happen in like outer world stuff that matters. You know, like the Azrael, be careful you speak to my high lady, that just sends me transient into another realm because of how deeply I love that man. Or that you could chain me to a tree and I'd fly with the tree on my back. Like that, those things make me squeal. Those things make me screech Sarah's name, but for different reasons. There's also reasons that I scream Sarah's name for bad reasons. Like when Resand tells people to be quiet or when people say, oh, I don't want a history lesson. And it makes me just want to like choke the life of these characters because I want the history lesson. It's also not like when Sarah hurts me deep inside of my soul. Sam Cortland, I have not forgiven you for that, Sarah, nor will I ever forgive you for that. So these are just, these are things that make me really excited. They're things that you know, you can see Sarah's little mastermind kind of unraveling. You're like, okay, this is something. This is so something. Except for maybe one of them. One of them, I'm just desperate to know. Like, I want the Reese POV of this specific scene because I want to know what happened. Because we don't get it, and I need it. I want it. Because I know that it might mean something. But that's the last one we're going to be talking about on the list, so I hope you listen along until then. Well, let's get into it. Done rambling. This is going to be a very rambly episode. Some people really say that they like my rambling, and if you're one of those people, here is your pre-American Thanksgiving present. The first one that I want to talk about is a character, and, and, and there's actually quite a lot to this that I want to unpack, but Bryaxis. I, I talk about Bryaxis a lot, and it's because they, it, is an open-ended question in the Akatar universe right now. I've said it before, but A Court of Frost and Starlight is what sets up the rest of the Akatar universe basically going forward. The core Akatar, you know, stuff. Obviously, the stuff that happens with the Hosab, that's a whole different ballgame. I don't really, we're still not sure how that's going to go. But the Akatar stories really gets foreshadowed in A Court of Frost and Starlight. And one of those things that kind of gets dribbled in, dropped in, is about Bryaxis. And something that's really interesting to me, and that I was thinking about when preparing for this episode, is the meaning of Farah and Bryaxis's bargain. But that's not what originally made me want to talk about him in this episode. What made me want to talk about him was the fact that Bryaxis protects the humans in the war. And at first, that was just like me going, oh, like, Bryaxis was protecting the humans in the war. Like, that's correct. Like, that, I want to spend an entire week just breaking down this character, which I have done and have notes on. But I just, you know, that's just something that you see this character who's considered, like, nightmares that Cassian is deeply afraid of, and yet it's on its own merit protecting these humans. But we're going to talk about it in a second. But what, what I found interesting when I was looking through you know, Bryaxis and, the, and Bryaxis in the war, was that that was not part of its bargain. So that's why I was screaming about it, right? But their bargain happens in Akawar 50. 
And it says, Farrah says, I felt slightly bad for Highburn, as I said, yes, only Highburn, only until the war is over, one way or another. A beat of silence. What would you have me do then? I gestured to Amran. She will explain. She will disable the wards when we need you. I will wait. Then it's a bargain. You will obey our orders in this war, fight for us until we no longer need you, and exchange we shall bring you the sun, the moon, and the stars to you in your home. So their core bargain is, you will obey our orders in this war. You will fight for us until we no longer need you. In exchange, they will give Bryaxis a window. So that is to fight, not to protect, not to guard, not to do anything. Fae bargains are very verbatim. It's word for word. There is a lot of wiggle room in there. But there's also a lot of no wiggle room. There's some things that you just can't back out of. And one of those things is that Thera specifically does not say that it needs to protect the people in the war. Just that he could, it, I want to say he, I don't know why. He, so it didn't need to protect anyone. And yet it was willingly in Akawar 75, it says, we arced away across the field to Bryaxis, still fighting, holding the line for Grayson's men, a black cloud that cut a path for them, shielding them. Bryaxis, fear itself, guarding the mortals. And then we just get that Bryaxis was gone. And I have two things I want to talk about when it comes to this particular thing, is when Farrah first makes her bargain with Bryaxis in Akawar 31, she has a black band on her left, no, maybe it's her right arm, on her tattooed arm. And I'm kind of wondering, I'm trying to think back, do we still have, does she still have that bargaining band on her? I have to go through it, but I'm kind of curious to see if she still has her two bargaining bands from Bryaxis. And the second thing I want to talk about when it comes to their bargain is this is this is going to make some people a little bit nervous and it kind of makes me a little nervous to be honest by fey bargains you cannot break them right they're unbreakable so when she says you will obey our orders in this war and fight for us until we no longer need you does that mean that this war is not over because Bryaxis did not need to go immediately back. It's not being harmed by the bargain. So do they still need Bryaxis? By terms of their bargain, Bryaxis does not need to return back to its home if this war is not over or they still need Bryaxis. And I think that we still need Bryaxis because Bryaxis keeps getting talked about and how it's not returning home. Where is it? And we're going to talk about the darkness of the library in a few minutes, but it's really, really, really itching at me that in A Court of Frost and Starlight, there's been no news of Bryaxis. No one's been hurt. No one's been, no one's seen it. No one's been in terrible fear of it. It's just sort of somewhere. And I've talked about how maybe Bryaxis is Balthazar in a court of frost or court of silver flames i've talked to you know because of the curse breaker thing and all that stuff. We, you, you know that theory well and good that could i mean technically brian uh, balthazar did help nesta help them it wasn't specifically farah it was just them 
so they so Nesta needed someone to help her in the blood right and that's what Balthazar did I mean it kind of makes some sense and I don't but to be fair I don't know if I can't remember if Reese and Vera ever held up their end of the bargain and put a window in so maybe it's just waiting for its window or I have said this before I think that there might be a gate down in the seventh level of the library and that Bryaxis was guarding this gate kind of like the Valg spiders were in Tower of Dawn and that once it left its post maybe something slipped in through that gate when it was not there and that does kind of make sense as we'll see when we talk about some darkness watching two of our ladies in the rest of the Akatar universe thing I want to talk about is Elaine in A Court of Silver Flames. I actually want to spend a lot of time talking about Elaine. I'd like to go through every single line for line that Elaine has said. I want to go through every scene that Elaine is in. And I think I want that for a few reasons, but mostly because we don't know, you know, we have we don't have her book, so I think I just want to like see where her story is going. It's not a secret that I I adore Elaine. I think Elaine is probably my favorite Archeron sister already. Um, and I think I also hold very tightly to Elaine because of the way that the fandom talks about Elaine, and I get very defensive when it comes to Elaine. And I'm going to try to keep that out of this. But there's a specific scene that's dropped in A Court of Silver Flames. You probably already know exactly what scene I'm going to be talking about, and it's in chapter... 29, this is in Cassian's perspective, and he says, Elaine had already departed with Farah, claiming she had to be up at dawn to tend an elderly fairy's garden. Cassian didn't know why he had suspected that it wasn't true. There had been some tightness in Elaine's face that, as she had said it, and normally when she made such excuses, Lucian was around, but the male remained in the human lands with Jurian and Vasa. So basically, Elaine is lying about where she's going. And that just, it, ooh, <laughs> it really, really itches at me. Because you can dissect this in a few different ways. You can say, tending to an elderly fairy's garden. Garden, Garden of Eden, tending to chaos and voids garden. An elderly couple, kind of makes sense to me. Um, tending to an elderly fairy's garden. Tamlin is elderly. <laughs> he has a garden that needs some help. Like, there's so many ways that this could be whatever. This could also just be a blatant lie. And she could, you know, say gardening because everyone's going to be like, oh, Elaine's gardening. We don't really care what she's doing, but she could be doing something completely off the books. I kind of have, like, in my head, it's sort of canon to me that Elaine knows. Elaine knows so much more than she has ever let on. And I think that she specifically knows a lot about what's going on in the future, or maybe even in other worlds. Because when we are, when we see, and I, I think I've talked about it, I, I think I say that too much. I say, I already think we've already talked about it, because I have no idea what's been in my brain, and what's been out in the world, and what I've said on this podcast, or what I've said in general. But when Nesta is in the cauldron, it, she basically says that time did not exist when she was there. So... By logic standpoint, that must have been what it was like for Elaine. Now, the difference is, is the cauldron loved Elaine. It adored Elaine. 
I want to spend, I think I'm going to make a TikTok sometime this week, so you guys are going to get a little sneak peek, but I want to talk about how I don't think that the cauldron was ever looking for Nesta. I think it took its L. It was a little crabby. It it took Breelin, took its L, and then it went back to Elaine, and I think that it was constantly looking for Elaine, and I think it's all canon that it was, and that maybe... This is something that everyone's talked about, is how Akatar, at least the first three books, are quote-unquote an unreliable narrator, because it's all taking place in Farrah's mind, and Farrah does not know a lot. I don't really like to use the term unreliable narrator, but I think just for the sake of this conversation, it's going to work. But we're only given the information that Farrah knows. And Farrah doesn't know a lot, to be to be 100% fair. I love Farrah. She is my high lady. I kneel for her. But she doesn't know everything about the fairy world, especially in the first three books. At least, yeah, especially for the first three, three books. But she does end up, you know, we kind of see the way that she progresses as High Lady and she starts getting more into the politics and learning more because she t has time to finally just sit down and learn about the world that they're in. What was I even talking about? Oh, so they're like, oh, we just assume that it's looking for Nesta because Nesta took something, right? But they don't know, right? They're, they're not with the cauldron. They don't know. They're not speaking to the cauldron. They don't actually know what the cauldron was looking for. And every single time the cauldron went looking, it landed at a lane. It did not land at Nesta. It didn't take Nesta from their camp. It took a lane. It didn't calm in the presence of war when it found Nesta. It calmed when it found a lane. It was constantly, constantly searching for a lane. And that just, it, it, it really gets to me. So, all of this has to, I just, I'm so intrigued by Elaine. I'm so intrigued by Elaine. And I'm, I'm desperate to know what she was doing in Akasif because we actually learn quite a bit about her in Akasif. Just these subtly hinted things, and I, and I have them written down here in bullet points. But, Amran says that she's equal power to Reese, Farah, and Nesta. And then Amran also says that in the same breath, that she might have more powers than we originally credit her for, just other than just the seer abilities. And that's in A Court of Silver Flames 42. It says, you, Rhysand, not Nesta. And do not forget that Nesta herself and Elaine, with whatever powers she has, is here. Farah is here. All three sisters, blessed by fate and gifted with powers to match your own. Elaine is in that category with powers to match the most powerful high lord in all of Perithian history. You're going to hate me for this. All of you are going to hate me for this. Nesta is no longer in this list. So what does that... Nesta still has power. Nesta is still made. She still has sway with the made items. She's still... In, what, uh, Elaine, who was blessed by the gifted by the cauldron those are her powers to keep those are hers not like yeah, who is gonna this might heat some people i'm feeling a little spicy today apparently nesta was never meant to have her powers i've talked about it before i'm gonna stand by that she was not meant to have those powers they were it was traumatic for her. It was a burden for her. She didn't want them. She gave them up and she was happier for it. She didn't want to learn how to use them. She never cared about them. They weren't hers because people like to drag on SJM for the women losing their powers thing. And I like to look at it in a separate perspective. 
whereas Elaine and Farah were gifted their powers to keep. Their, their powers. They were supposed to have them. They are theirs. And I just, it drives me, oh, it drives me insane that Elaine is continuously brushed off, especially by her fandom, when by all rights, she is powerful and she is meant to be powerful. She is supposed to have this power. It is her power to keep. And what's incredibly, incredibly crazy about this is that Elaine got a hold of her powers on her own. Once she was out of her first trauma, I I call it bed days. When I have my depressive episodes, I go through bed days where I become moss. It's my dissociative term. I, I it's welcome to therapy with Lillian. Um, I call myself Moss when I get like really, really just like I can't move. I just want to be in bed. I I have nothing in me. I am I am a void. I call it being Moss. When Elaine was in her Moss stage, and she came out of it, she she learned on her own. Nobody nobody trained her. Nobody trained Elaine, which is so. Oh, like Nesta learned how to shield her vital organs. She learned, you know, how to shield her mind. But no one that we know of trained Elaine. Elaine did it on her own. Elaine learned how to get a hold of her visions. She learned how to control her powers all on her own by the time of a court of Silver Flames. I could talk I could, like I said, I just want to go through every single mention of Elaine every time Elaine talks and I just want to, like, break it down and dissect it because I just think it's going to be so, like, there's got to be so much foreshadowing. And I know that there's so much foreshadowing because it's already been foreshadowed. It's like, (laughs) oh my goodness, I could just go on and on and on about her. And the thing with Elaine and, and talking about her and her changing and all this stuff, in Akawar 28, Elaine says this, Everyone thinks she is dead. Elaine kept walking, but she's not. Only different. Changed as I was. Changed as I was. Not like Nesta was. Not like Farah was. As I was. <sighs> what did you change into, girlfriend? Who are you? (laughs) I just, like, I just, I could spin and spin in circles about Elaine day, night, constantly. Like, in Akasif, Nesta, when she was in her drunken stupor, and she's talking about, she's thinking of a memory of the last time she had seen Elaine, and it was when she was walking to a bar, I think, and in a crowd she sees Elaine coming out of the Palace of Salt and Bone. And then Nesta pretends she didn't see her and, like, runs away. And I'm like, what, like, what, it, what was Elaine, like, I always talk about where was Adis in Hosab. What was Elaine doing in A Court of Silver Flames? Like, that's what I, were they, t- <laughs> were they together? <laughs> like, it just, ooh, it drives me there's just so much we could talk about with Elaine. How much does she know? What does she know? Could she be? Could she 
mystic? Could she use crystals? Could she be using salt? Like, could she be summoning people? Did she help summon Bryce? Bryce felt a hand yank her to Perithian when she was, uh, I mean, I said no spoilers, but obviously that's, I can't not heed my own warning. But Elaine wasn't there when Bryce landed. So where was Elaine? Where was Elaine? Did she know that Bryce was coming because she can see the future? Like, what does this girl know? What's crazy to me is that I could give two shits, I'm swearing, about ships who Elaine ends up with. I really don't care. I almost don't even want her to end up with anyone because I just want her to girl boss her way to just like ethereal godhood, in my opinion. I just, I, I, I think I'm going to do, I want to do character deep dives of more Asriel and Elaine. And I think it's because they're the characters that are going to have more predominant roles in the future. So I think maybe that will be my list of like first, second, and third character breakdowns that we do is like more Asriel and Elaine. And it's because I just have so much to say on all three of these people and they're who they are, what they are, what they have been, what their powers are. I just have so many theories, so many ideas, and so many things I just want to like continue and continue and continue to talk about. But let's talk about more. So the next thing that haunts me and keeps me up of a night comes from A Court of Frost and Starlight, chapter 24. And this is something that I've been asked to talk about kind of a lot and I and I technically have but it was so long ago and it was before I even had a following and definitely before the podcast so this is going to be kind of like a chapter breakdown inside of an episode inside of the, like it's just gonna be like inside of something inside of something inside of, like inception kind of thing so we're gonna do like a mini chapter breakdown um and it's a it comes from a quarter of frost and starlight so of course it's going to be something that haunts me because that entire book haunts me I don't get why it gets so much hate because so many good things that make me want to screech are left in there and this this is one of them and this I think is also one of the first steps that was taken I think to definitively foreshadow Hosab and a court of Silver Flames, because we're going to talk about the parallel in Silver Flames that happens from this to that. But let's just do the chat. We'll, we'll read it first, break it down second, like usual. But she'd have to tell them, regardless of what she decided, at some point. Elia's ears went flat against her head, more stiffened, following the mare's line of sight, to a tangle of wood to their left, a little more than a thatch of trees from this distance. She rubbed Elia's neck. Easy, she breathed. Easy. Even in these woods, ancient terrors had been known to emerge, but more scented nothing, saw nothing. The tendril of power she speared towards the woods revealed only the usual bird and small beast. A heart drinking from a hole in an iced-over stream. Nothing except there, between a snarl of thorns, a patch of darkness. It did not move. It did not seem to do anything but linger and watch. Familiar, yet foreign. Something in her power whispered to not touch it, not go near it, even from this distance. Moore obeyed, but she still watched that darkness in the thorns, as if a shadow had fallen asleep amongst them. Not like Azriel's shadows, twinning and whispering. Something different, something that stared back, watching her in turn. 
best left undisturbed, especially with the promise of a crackling fire and a glass of wine at home. Let's take the short route back, she murmured to Elia, patting the horse's neck. The horse needed no further encouragement before launching into a gallop, turning them from the woods and its shadowy watcher, over and between hills as they rode, until the woods were hidden in the mist behind them. What else might she see, witness, in lands where none of the night court had ventured for millennia? The question lingered with every thunderous step from Elia over the snow and brook and hill. Its answer echoed off the rocks and trees and gray clouds overhead. Go, go, go. <sighs> I don't even know where to start other than, okay, so a patch of darkness is watching her. We're going to talk about how that correlates with the Court of Silver Flames in a second, but I want to talk about this particular patch of darkness first. And the first thing, and basically one of the only things that, not really the only thing, but this, this is the first time we've ever seen Moore use her powers, ever, <laughs> aside from her healing powers. I think it's interesting that her power whispers to her. Kind of interesting. And secondly, that this patch of darkness, familiar yet foreign. Let's riff on that second for a second. So it's no secret that I think more is starborn. Why else? I mean, honestly, why else keep her power so secretive? Why not see her power in use ever? Unless it was hiding starbornness that makes sense to me familiar yet foreign if this shadow is adis and i'll explain why i think it's adis in a second if her power comes from starborn lineage probably from thea's line because of how she i mean i think more is a starborn queen i think that more is the dust court high lady that's how i should be saying it because Technically, I guess Bryce could be the queen of the Starborns in Midgard, but I, I don't think Bryce is going to be staying on Perithian. She's going to go home. She's got stuff to deal with. Unless there's, like, a lot of, like, time tourney, like, they're going to go back and change literally the course of history. I don't see... I mean, I can see gates being open for, like, free flow of travel, but I do think that, for the most part, the people of Midgard are going to stay on Midgard, so that leaves the dust court because the dust court's going to be resurrected on Perithian. That's going to happen. And then who's going to take over the dust court? I think it's going to be more um, because of what's left in the little bits of her story. And we learned that when she came into her power, it was, she specifically says it was like a high Lord's heir coming into power. She's as powerful as a high Lord's heir. Her family originally I'm just going to give you a rundown of the theory so that it makes sense of why I'm talking the way I'm talking. But her family originally were the ones who ruled the north in the beginning of Perithian, back when, you know, back before the night court was the night court. So it just makes sense to me that she would be the one to take over because, one, we don't know her power. She's always golden-y, blah, blah, blah. There's so, I'm going to, I'll probably do a whole episode dedicated to more, as I already said, and going into my theory on more being starborn. But I think that more is going to be the starborn, is starborn, will be the dust court high lady. And if that's true, so she would come from Thea's line because Thea was the starborn queen. If the shadow is Adis, familiar, but foreign. Familiar to her magic line, foreign to her personally. That's kind of how I see it. That's kind of how I'm reading that line. Familiar yet foreign. 
something that her power knows, yet she doesn't. And it was watching her, which is interesting. Now, before we get into the Akasif parallel, uh, I just want to say I, I truly don't think that was it was Bryaxis. I don't think it was Bryaxis for a few reasons. One, and most importantly, she knows Bryaxis. She saw it in the war. She knows it in the library. She knows who Bryaxis is. She's seen it. She knows what it feels like. It wouldn't be foreign to her because she knows Bryaxis. And if it was Bryaxis, I kind of have a feeling more would well, maybe she wouldn't because she was at her secret little house and her secret little place in the woods. So she, maybe she wouldn't tell Reese, but I feel like she would be like, hey, I heard from so-and-so that Bryaxis was hanging out, you know, over there. And then Reese would be like, okay, we got to go collect Bryaxis because she knows that they need to collect Bryaxis. I don't, I feel like more wouldn't just leave Bryaxis to terrorize people. That doesn't really seem like her MO. So I don't think it was Bryaxis. And I'm pretty firm in that belief that I don't think it's Bryaxis. And I think it's interesting that this thing was there when she makes a life-altering decision. Her future was then decided in this chapter. She decides to go to Valhan. And then what happens to this darkness? Where do we ever see this darkness again? I think we see it in A Court of um, Silver Flames, specifically in A Court of Silver Flames chapter 15, where it says, The darkness seemed to rise and fall like it was breathing. The hair on her arms rose. Bryaxis was gone set loose into their world. Even Farah and Rhysand's hunting hadn't retrieved the thing that was fear itself, and yet the darkness remained. It pulsed, tendrils of shadow drifting upwards. She stared too long into the depths. It might gaze back, but she didn't move from the rail, couldn't remember how she had come down this far or which book she still held in her hands. There was night, and then there was darkness of exhausting a candle, and then there was this. Not only the true absence of light, but a... Oh, A womb. The womb from which all life had come and would return. Neither good nor evil, only dark, dark, dark. Nesta, her name drifted to her as if rising from the depths of some black ocean. Nesta. It slid along her bones, her blood. She had to pull back, pull away. The darkness pulsed and beckoned. Nesta. She whirled, nearly dropping the book over the edge. Gwen was standing there, eyeing her. What are you doing? Heart thundering, Nesta twisted towards the dark, but it was only that murky darkness though which she could now barely make out the sublevels beneath as if a thick impenetrable black had vanished it i gwen's arm laden with books strode to her side surveying the dark nesta waited for the chiding the ridicule and disbelief but gwen only asked gravely what did you see why nesta asked do you see things in that darkness her voice was thin no but some of the others do. They say the dark has trailed them right to their doors, Gwen shivered. I saw darkness, Nesta managed to say. Her heart would not calm. Pure darkness, the likes of which she had not seen since she had been inside the cauldron. Nesta glanced from the chasm below. <laughs> we should go higher. Nesta lifted the book still in her shaking arms. I need to shelve this. Leave it. 
Gwen said, enough authority lacing her words that Nesta dropped the book onto the dark wood table. The priestess put her hand on Nesta's back, exhorting her up the slope ramp. Don't look behind, Gwen muttered out of the corner of her mouth. What level is your cart on? Four, she began to twist her head to gaze over her shoulder, but Gwen pinched her. Don't look behind, Gwen murmured again. Is it following? No, but... Gwen's swallow was audible. I can feel something like a cat, small, clever, and curious. It's watching. If you're joking, Gwen reached into the pocket of her pale robe and pulled out the blue stone of the priestesses. It fluttered with light, like the sun on a shallow sea. Hurry now, she whispered, and they increased their pace, reaching the fifth level. <laughs> no other priestesses approached, and there is no one to witness Gwen urging. Keep going. Oh, it's like four things just clicked in my head as I was reading that. So, obviously, I think this is the same darkness, right? Same thing to me. I, th I, I have it in, I think I have it in Tower of Dawn. I might even have it in my annotated copy of A Court of Silver Flames. But she says, no, the true absence of light, but a womb, the womb of which all life had come. In Tower of Dawn... Yurene is in the quote-unquote womb, and there's a patch of darkness watching her. Get out of here, Sarah! But then, what, is they, what did they say? Oh, they also say that it's there's Nesta and the chasm below. Chasm, which is where Adis rules. And then they also say they reached the fifth level, where they're talking about a curious cat. The fifth level of hell is the chasm. The chasm is where Adis's domain is. Adis turns into a cat. <sighs> I'm holding in the screech. Holding in the screech right now. <laughs> if it was just chasm, fine, I would leave it. If it was just level, fifth level. I would probably leave it, but the fact that it is a curious cat, a chasm, and the fifth level, all in the same paragraph? It's gotta be Adis, right? It's gotta be Adis. It's gotta be Adis. And what's... No, because why does this make sense to me? Because Yurene, I think, is starborn, or has starborn abilities. Nesta is like a newborn star. More, I think, is Starborn Queen. Starborn High Lady, however you want to say it. All three of them are Starborn, and all three of them have a dark shadow watching them that's curious like a cat. Um, what? So as you can see, this is why I was screaming. <laughs> why, why these two scenes, like, cause me, cause me to lose sleep at night, scribbling away in my little notebooks, because I have, like, dedicated notebooks to Sarah J. Mass notes and Sarah J. Mass theories and things that haunt me, and I have, like, scribbled like a mad lady, circling things and highlighting things and, and doing little circles and pointing arrows and underlining things, like, so deeply that it stabs through the page. I actually haven't done that, but I feel like it's coming. I feel like I could just, I feel like I should just scrap this whole episode and just talk about this. Just scrap this whole episode, tear up all my notes, and then do a chapter breakdown of Akafas 24, A Court of Frost and Starlight, 
15 and then find the chapter in Tower of Dawn and just <laughs> do that, but I'm not going to because that would take all of my work and I don't have time, but like, oh my goodness, this is like, I feel like I need to take a nap. <laughs> we should probably move on to the next thing before I cry um, Sarah's name into my pillow at night. <laughs> we're going to be talking about is how Reese's High Lord form is the same as the hounds in the Wild Hunt, and this is going to be the starting point of a very, very large theory. And the very, very large theory is Reese's Valg. This is not a secret. I've talked about this many, many, many times. I'm going to continue talking about this many, many, many times. But I specifically want to point out this and I'm gonna only, I want to only tie it back to things in Akatar because I said this was only going to be an Akatar episode and yet here we are and it's not only an Akatar episode because I don't know how to shut my brain off and stick to something that I say because I run and it's a chaos episode so I guess I can have some leniency for not sticking to my word. But it's going to lead into a theory that ties in with Tog and I'll talk about it at the very end and then I'm going to give you no context <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> Okay, so when we see Reese in his true, true High Lord form, we catch glimpses of it, but the, f the only time we actually see it is in Akawar 74. And Farah says this, I saw Rhysand. In the thick of those breaking lines, blood spattered, fighting beautifully, I saw him assess the field ahead and then transform. The talons came first, replacing fingers and feet, then dark scales, or perhaps feathers. I couldn't get a good look at them. Covered his legs, his arms, his chest. His body contorted, bones and muscles growing and shifting. The beast form Reese had kept hidden. Never liked to unleash. Unless it was dire enough to do so. Before the cauldron swept me away, I beheld what happened to his head, his face. It was the thing of nightmares, nothing human or fey in it. It was a creature that lived in the black pits and only emerged at night to hunt and feast. The face, it was those creatures that had been carved into the rock of the court of nightmares that had made up his throne, the throne not only a representation of his power, but what lurked within. And with the wings, dot, 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 dot. So, so this is going to be canon. This is canon information first, and then I'll, I'll, I'll very briefly say my theory on Rizand and his High Lord form and how it ties into too many things and how it will probably need to do two or three episodes dedicated to, ju to just Reese. <laughs> how long can I go on talking about our High Lord? Um, days. <laughs> but in Agassif 54, Nesta says, sees this. Nesta could see the portrait Lanthes wove into the air around them. She saw herself on a black throne, a matching crown in her unbound hair, enormous onyx beasts scaled like those she had seen in Huon City's pillars lay at the foot of the dais. And then in Akasif 55, this is what we learn about those beasts. The Daglin possessed mighty, monstrous beasts. Hounds, they called them, though they did not look like the hounds we know what they used to run prey into the ground before they tortured and killed them. It's a terrible history, and much of it might be elaborated myths. The hounds looked like the beasts in Hewen City, Nesta said quietly. The beasts that we see in Hewen City are in the gate and in Reese's throne room. That is what Reese's High Lord form is. Those beasts 
were what the Daglin used in the wild hunt. They say beasts, hounds, they called them that, though they weren't hounds. This is going to be a very, very short, short thing because I don't want to get into it, but I'm going to, I'm going to drop it and then I'm going to run to the next thing. <laughs> I don't think you guys are ready for what's going to come out of my mouth in two seconds. I think that Reese's High Lord form is a word hound. Pausing for dramatic effect. Let that sink in for a second. I think Rhysand's High Lord form is a word hound. And I'm gonna I'm gonna only add this and then I'm gonna save it for its own dedicated time slot where it's not just thrown into a chaos episode because I this is not chaos to me. This this is this is serious theory. This is serious, serious theory to me. The term word hound when it pops up in Queen of Shadows, it's Aelin. She's in the sewers and she sees one of the Valg um, talking to this thing in the sewers. And she recognizes this thing as a the stone, quote-unquote, gargoyle that she had seen watching her. Now, that was the first thing that tipped me off because when Feyre and Akama first sees the... She calls them the Gates of Eternity, the Gates into the Night Court... She says that the stone beasts, the same thing that's carved at Reese's throne, she, she saw, thought that they moved. So same, so that, that was the first thing that triggered me, was these two things. But Aelin calls them hounds, and then she says, I don't have the direct quote, but it's basically this. This is a paraphrased version of it. I, I don't feel like finding the greater quote right now. But she says hounds but not hounds and then she names them word hounds and everyone just runs with that title that's not a title she found in a book that's not a title a valg told her that's just something she came up with hounds that are not hounds <laughs> and they look they they're almost described well, uh, that's it i'm running we're that's it that's all i have to say on that the thing that keeps me up at night is that reese reese's high lord form is the hounds that rode the wild hunt I would like to do, you know what, I'm going to add it to the list. I'm going to add Akasif 55 to the chapter breakdown list of episodes I want to do dedicated to it. And then I'm going to leave that at that. So anyways, uh, <laughs> I feel like I can kind of feel like the oncoming DMs that I might get from saying this, and that, that sounds like a conceited asshole thing to say, but I, I genuinely do feel like I'm going to get a lot of people um, asking for me to elaborate. I promise I will elaborate. One day, don't know when. <laughs> Maybe after, so I got to do my Crescent City reread, but I'm currently in the trenches of Zodiac Academy, which I'm not talking about on this podcast. I refuse to talk about Zodiac Academy on this podcast. I will not do it. But I am in the trenches of Zodiac Academy. And then I'm going to get to my Crescent City reread. And then I'm going to read to Akatar Because I genuinely... For a few reasons. I, when I first did my Akatar reread, it was, like, immediately after Hosab. I did not have a following. I was not a theorist. And I tapped. And, I, and I've kept with my same tapping system, which I wish I could go back and change, but I'm not going to. And, I, you know, yeah, I've talked about that on my TikTok. 
but I wasn't at the level of critical thinking that I'm at now, and I would genuinely like to go back at, in theory mode and in, you know, in, in thought mode and do my reread like that because I just wasn't at my level of thinking. I hadn't done my tog reread. I just hadn't had the same thoughts that I have now, and I genuinely would like to go back and reread and, and, and really pull stuff out of it which I think I'm going to start, I'm going to probably try and do, I'm probably going to start in January, just the way that, I mean, Zodiac Academy is going, and then Crescent City is going to take me a little bit of time, and I think I'm probably going to end up spiraling again, going through Hosab, because Crescent City is like a fever dream to me. I genuinely feel like 90% of what I remember it might be made up, so I just, I really want to, I want to give Crescent City the annotating, tabbing, thought, time that it truly deserves, and I think it's going to cause a lot of screaming, <laughs> especially reading it back now that we know what we know, and I just want that. So, the next thing I want to talk about has nothing to do with what I was just saying, um, is Farah and Iron. And there's two specific times that this is, this is just something that I think about time and time and time and time again. In Akatar 2, chapter 2, it says, I yanked open the wooden door, the frozen iron handle biting my skin like an asp. Heat and light blinded me as I slipped inside. Okay. <laughs> That's the first, like, red warning sign. In Akwar 60, it says, when she's running to the weaver's cottage, when Ianthe is chasing her. She says, invisible hands shoved against it, but I gritted my teeth and braced a foot against the wall, iron biting into my hands. So not only does it happen once, it happens twice, which is not a lot. What's, the, what's, that, what's the sound? I would have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's still weird. Like, it's not a lot, but it's still weird. And the thing with iron that I find particularly interesting when it comes to Farah and the sisters is this. Farah has always felt a bite, a biting against it, but her sisters, this is, gonna be, this is interesting food for thought, her sisters' minds are encased with iron gates and walls. Nesta has iron walls, Elaine has iron gates. So they're protected from, with iron, but Farah feels a biting feeling with iron. Um, I don't really, Farah's mind isn't really, I mean, she's, her mind is particularly described very similarly to Reese's mind, but it's not iron. It's not an iron wall. It's not an iron fortress. It's not described with iron at all. And I think it's really interesting that that happens. And I almost, you know, this could be a symbol of Farah's fey lineage, which at first glance, I would say yes. Like, basis, yes. Okay lineage. But I think, because I have somewhat of a working theory kind of always going on in the back of my mind that the Archeron sisters mirror the witches. So I think Nesta mirrors the Iron Teeth witches. I think that Farah probably mirrors the Blue Blood witches and then Elaine would mirror the Kroken witches. It's not a perfect theory. It's not fully fleshed out. It's just something that's always kind of in the back of my mind because there's actually quite a bit of things that really tie the sisters to the witches. But yes, that would mean there's some value. You know, it's not, it's not, 
perfect. I just said they mirror. But the witches do have iron. They have their iron teeth, their iron things. And I kind of wonder if... <sighs> There's just something there. It's just something there. And I think you could be like, yeah, okay, fair is probably... It's just like a symbol of fair is, you know, iron and, and fey. But the fey and Perithian, iron doesn't bother them. So that would mean that the girls are togfey. But then you got to go into the question of why are togfey limited to iron now what's interesting and i've been thinking about this kind of a lot is that iron deters the fey but it takes quite a lot to hinder them i.e what did I, why did i i'm i need to stop i need to shut up right now because i literally said we're only going to be talking about guitar today and here i am going to go on like a deep dive on the iron and how i think that maybe it's something else and i uh, What I'll say is this. What I'll say is this. That's all I'm going to say is that sometimes Aelin used iron to ground her very similarly to the way that the witches talk about iron being used to ground them. And that's all I'm going to say on that. The next one is this is something that I would I would do unspeakable horrible things for but I desperately want this specific scene in Reese's POV and it's the scene where Farah gives Reese bloodsbane. I need to know what happened to Reese when he was tripping on bloodsbane. I, I need to know and what's interesting about bloodsbane is that it's a poison well, well, not really a poison. It can be used as a poison, but it's also something that seers use to see visions. And when Aelin was poisoned with it, she could see the in-between realm and see the stuff that was going on when she was tripping balls. I... I... Okay, so it's canon that there's Bloodsbane in both worlds, right? Again... And we were surprised by the ending of Hosab when Sarah was literally dropping hints time and time and time again. <laughs> Maybe that should be an episode. An episode where every time Sarah hinted at the ending of Hosab, that should be, that's a, I'm gonna, I should write that down because there's quite a lot of them, especially just in Akatar. I mean, you, you, I mean, obviously a lot, a lot, a lot in Crescent City, but in Akatar, there's quite a few things that you're like, other, that's, that's a parallel, that's a parallel, that's a parallel. So it's not just Sears, which, I mean, obviously I've said it before, but someone needs to, someone should be drugging Elaine's tea so that she can see what's in between, just like Ada says in last week's episode. What did Reese see? I am desperate, desperate to know what our High Lord saw when he was tripping balls on Bloodsbane. There, like he, even if it was just a funky prophetic dream, I want that. Like, please, Sarah, tell me what Reese saw. There's actually a few scenes that I would love to see in Reese's perspective, and none of them are the scenes that you probably think of, but it's like that scene, the scene where the red star happens. I would love to see that. I want to have um, Akasif 54 or 55 in Reese's perspective because he's like, we don't have time for a history lesson, yet he knows the history. So I want that inner monologue of him already knowing the history. What I wouldn't give for that. Oh, actually scratch that. I want every single book in Reese's perspective. 
because I want to know what Reese knows. Because the man knows too much and he doesn't tell me nothing. Tell me everything, sir, please. I've already given you my utter devotion. I love you more than most real human people. Actually, probably everyone except for maybe my husband, but I'm legally obligated to say that. Like, just tell me what you know, sir. Why are you so suspicious all the time? Oh. <laughs> I just, I just want to know everything. And as I said earlier, it's like, we only know what Farrah knows at first, and Farrah knows very little. Nesta knows even less. And I just want to know, you know? So, like, I, I really, I think we're probably going to get a more novella of what's going on in Valheim and on the continent, mostly because Koshi's on the continent, so I feel like there's that tie. And that's going to end up leading into Elaine's book, or Az's book. Now, it, I, this is as close as I'll get to talking about ships, especially this very dangerous topic of ships. Ships. But Azriel cannot have a story until him and Moore have discussed what's going on between them. And this is going to tie back to the Starborn thing, but I think that Azriel is as a knight of the Dusk Court, just like they talk about in Crescent City, and that he's drawn to protect more. And I'll when we when I do an episode, you know what? I should probably put this on the forefront because I, this is just one of my favorite theories. It's the one I feel the most strongly about, actually. Um, this and Bryce needing siphons. These those are my two very 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 well and and time travel. But those are like the those are my core three. Like if I was to put all of my eggs in three baskets, those would be my three. Those are the ones I'm gonna be really, really like surprised if they don't happen. Um But so Bryce coming and everyone learning about Duskcourt and all that stuff and they're gonna learn about knights and all that thing. Like that's gonna lead into the conversation of Moore and Azriel finally discussing what's between them. And the only way that Az is going to ever get a love story is if him and Moore have a conversation, <laughs> which they haven't ever done. And so it, Elaine's book, I don't, I, I don't talk ships, but Elaine and Az, that this is canon, have some sort of something around them, some sort of feelings for each other. Um, I'm trying to talk about this very politically, very, very, like, on the line. But that can't... Nothing with Asriel can be explored until he resolves his issue with Moore. So I think that the Moore book... So it's going to go Crescent City is going to lead into the Moore novella or Moore book. And then that is going to lead into Elaine or, or As. Or both. However that's going to go. Because it needs to be settled before that happens. I, you want to, uh, uh, the only ship I will publicly announce is, <laughs> actually that's a lie, I have two ships I publicly announce. One is <laughs> as an Eris. That is a chaos ship that I would love to see. Think about that, enemies to lovers. <laughs> and more in Emery. I, I, there's like a little scene in, um, Akasif where Emery, like, is looking up at more like she's the sun, basically, and if that's not foreshadowing, I don't know what is. Especially because um, Moore ends up asking Nesta if she can start training with the Valkyries, which ties into my theory that the Valkyries are going to become the Dust Court Legion. 
but like more being tied with the Valkyries, Emery, a Valkyrie who's like infatuated with more. I just, there's like a lot of foreshadowing there. I, I ship them. I ship them. Mostly, Emery's also my favorite Valkyrie, which I, mean, I think might be a little controversial. I, I, I resonate with Emery a lot. I grew up in an abusive household. I had a shitty dad. You know, I get Emery. In some ways, my, my wings were clipped. Like, metaphorically, my wings were clipped. And so I, I feel Emery. And I was, like, kind of sad because I was hoping to get a lot more from her in A Court of Silver Flames. But she was kind of, like, the third wheel in the friend group, which made me a little sad because I'm also the third wheel in friend groups. <sighs> Didn't I say this was like, I said earlier that like, welcome to therapy with Lillian. Welcome to therapy with Lillian. Um, wow. I went way off the rails today. I should probably just end it. I should stop talking now because I'm just getting into murky territory because I'm like, I'm never going to talk about ships. And then sometimes I kind of like hint around hint ships or I literally publicly say, I hope more and Emery get together, which is a ship, Lillian. You get me saying that. <laughs> That's a ship, technically, but I think it's an e it's a safe ship. That's a safe ship. It's like saying you ship Reese and Farah, <laughs> or like Callus and Vivian. <laughs> Probably not. I should just stick to saying I ship the bone carver with myself because that's the only safe thing I can say without like maybe offending anybody because the reason I don't talk ships because I, I actually get a lot of DMs and a lot of people comment on like ship stuff or ask me about ships and I'm just gonna tell you now the reason I don't talk about ships is because ships are very dividing and it causes a lot of negativity and discourse and while I think conversations are great debate is awesome I just feel like well, there's two reasons why I don't talk about ships. One is I want my space, my space, my corner of the fandom, my little corner that we all have carved out together because spatulas and speculations is not just me. It's all of us speculating with our little spatulas. I should probably make merch for that. Um, I just want it to be a safe space for everybody. And if I start talking about my personal ships, it's just going to, like... It's going to linger, whether subconsciously or not. Like, some people are like, I don't care who you ship. But some people really do care who you ship. And I don't want that to matter when we're talking about things that don't talk about ships. And the second reason why I don't talk about ships is because the literal crossover is happening. There's so much more that I want to talk about other than ships. Ships are the last thing I want to talk about because there's just so many more important things. The third reason I don't talk about ships is because nothing that I think is going to change Sarah's mind, which could be said about every other theory. But when it comes to ships and comes to the romance in Sarah J. Mass, one, I think it's a B plot. Some people think it's A plot, but they're just not reading to the depths of SJM as we do in this podcast. In this place, we, Sarah is high fantasy first, romance second, which is not about, like, I, I only read books with romance in it because I, that's the only thing I like. I like romanticy. But I want, I am always wooed by Sarah. I, I trust Sarah impeccably. And so 
no matter who I think who should end up with who, I know at the end of the day that when the book comes out, I'm going to see what Sarah has planned all along and I'm going to fall in love with it. And I'm going to fall in love with the story, even if it's someone I don't, because there's, there's a few characters who I do not like who are at the center of these ships. And I know that should it go one way, I am going to learn to love it. Or I'm going to be indifferent about it. And I'm going to be like, that's how Sarah did it. I respect it. I don't really care. Moving on. <laughs> so this is why I don't talk about ships. Because it's just so dividing. And it's just not where I want us to talk about. Because I feel like there's so many more things to talk about. And there are plenty of people who talk about ships. I respect it. I follow them. I like their content. I love fan art. I like fan art. I have, um, you know that TikTok trend that was going around where they're like, give us a million dollars or we'll leak your your camera roll and I actually wanted to do that because my specific ship I secretly save all of the fan arts on my phone because I can't like share it to my my stuff it all has to be very secretive because like I say I don't like to talk about ships and I don't want people to know who my ships are because I don't want it to cause issues because it does cause issues I know a lot of people who have been hated on one of my favorite fan artists who is very small she's a very small fan artist but she creates these like she's this very unique style that I can't describe in other any other way than like <sighs> like 1920s cartoons it's just she i can't i i should look up the her handle actually i'm going to do that right now just so that i can just share her handle because she creates some of the coolest fan art her take uh, her instagram handle is gentleheartarts.arts and she just has like the coolest coolest um like, style of fan art, and she recently was getting a lot of hate for her drawing of Elaine. I know, it's so silly, and it's so, it causes me, like, such deep anger at the fandom, that there's some toxicity there. So that's why I don't talk about it, not because I can't handle toxicity, because I can. Uh, I'll fight. I, I, but I just don't want it to ever I just don't want it to be an issue. I want to create positivity and happiness and joy for this author and these books that we all love so, so deeply. And that's where I want to keep my space. And that's where I want my excitement to be. So there are going to be times where I touch on, point at, but I, I will never, ever, ever, ever talk ships. I will never have an episode dedicated to it. I won't, if you DM me, you won't get me to budge. It won't happen. It's not going to happen. It's just the way that I, I am. There's just some things that I'm going to keep to myself. That's my boundary. It's my one boundary in this fandom. And I'm going to stick to it. But it's hard when we start talking about like the future stuff because obviously the way that certain characters are going to go, it's going to have to do with their ships and who their love interests are. So that's where I gently touch on is only when it somewhat mentions how it's going to play out for a certain character in the future. But if I ever do character deep dives, I'm never going to speculate who their their mates are. And I'll probably alter some of my information so that it can't even be veered into the conversation of mates. And that is that. 
So that was my TED Talk. That was my little soapbox on mates and ship talk. <laughs> I am so sorry. Sometimes I get rambly, but that was what today was for. It was a chaos episode. Chaos episodes are supposed to be like me cutting a little loose, just kind of letting out whatever I feel like letting out on my podcast. Which is something I need to remember is that it's my podcast. I'm allowed to talk about whatever I want to talk about, but that's what I want to talk about today. I honestly could continue going. There are so many little things that are left in Akatar that cause me to like, ugh. like there's stuff with Tamlin, there's stuff with Asriel, there's stuff with Cassian. I mean, we could go, we could have a whole conversation on Reese's last name. Like there's just so many things that just are there that cause me like, like they're just like big red, like blinking lights, flash, 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 flash. And it makes me just want to like screech because like when I get excited I squeal a little bit and I just want to like squeal over this kind of stuff but thank you so much I hope you guys have a wonderful wonderful week I will see you next week or you'll hear me next week as we talk about a it's a requested chapter breakdown of the chapter with Nesta in the prison and I actually am going to turn it into I decided like literally today in this episode that I want to do a two-parter episode so one's going to be Akasif 53-4 and then next week will be 55 with the topic of the Daglin and I think that will probably be a very good segue into talking doing like maybe we'll do like a set of chapter breakdowns because I want to they're the easiest ones for me to put together and record because they're just my notes uh, on certain chapters which is easy for me to do and I would like to pre-record quite a few episodes that way I can take a small break and do some reading and do some relaxing as we get into like the holidays and stuff so that's my little secret background podcast whatevering um that I would like to do a, a, an episode on the Asteri and maybe do the chapter breakdown of Hosab that mirrors Akasif 55 which is 73 of Hosab which is when Regulus goes on his little villain monologue and they talk all about like the Starborn and the Dusk Court and all that stuff. So that would be really fun. I Someone did tell me they wish they I did more theories <laughs> on this podcast, which I think I do talk theory in every single episode, but I think maybe they want me to do like an episode specifically for theorying. And maybe for that one specific person, we'll do an episode of a theory and maybe I'll have, maybe I'll have on my Instagram one day of like, what's a theory you want me to talk about and we'll do one of those I think maybe and I also would like to start maybe we'll do like maybe 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 we're gonna end season one and then maybe we'll do a few episodes with me talking with people I would love to have my besties on here my group chat girlies on here for a hive mind chat which I think will be really really fun and I think it's going to be fun to have other perspectives on here but maybe there are other people you guys would love for me to have a chat with about the SJM universe and so maybe we'll start doing that as well as like an in-between season one and season two but I'm I, I haven't it's not all thought out I'm just it's I need to I need to stop
recording. I'm just treating this like I'm talking to my, f to talking to real people and not a black microphone in front of me. <laughs> oh, but that's what it is. I, I kind of think of you guys as like my friends. And this is just me doing one really, really, really long voice memo. One extremely long and edited <laughs> voice memo. Okay. Thank you so much. I, are there things that like keep you up? Like, are there little scenes in Akita or throughout the SJM universe that, like, haunt you to this day that make you, like, every time you remember it, like, you're driving down the road and then you're like, oh, that happened. And then you just kind of, like, spiral out of control. You should, you can let me know and maybe I'll do an episode like this and it will be just, like, from you guys. Like, it won't be my things that keep me up at night, but it'll be the things that keep you guys up at night and we'll have, like, a whole discussion on them. That would be kind of fun, too. But yeah, okay, I'll see you next week for a chapter breakdown. <laughs> goodbye. I'm goodbye. <laughs>